Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding, and you're listening to Discover Someone Remarkable, conversations worth sharing. Join me as I interview passionate founders and industry experts, people who think differently, challenge the status quo, and are building a legacy. People who I consider truly remarkable. In today's episode, I interviewed David King, Director and Senior Lawyer at Schofield King Lawyers, a personal injury and compensation law firm with three offices across New South Wales. The themes of this episode revolve around mental toughness, setting personal challenges, and continual improvement. Things I admire and things that Dave has in spades. What I really wanted to talk to Dave about is what compelled him to run Marathon de Sables, a 250-kilometre multi-stage ultramarathon through the Sahara Desert in Morocco. It's essentially six marathons across seven days. We discuss our favourite brands, how he started a law firm at the young age of 27, learning to surf, Dave's love of mixed martial arts, books and music, and Dave ends the episode by reading two of his favourite quotes, which are just brilliant. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dave. I hope you do too. So Dave, mate, thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. No trouble. Mate, to kick things off, we like to ask an icebreaker question. So what's your favorite brand and why? My favorite brand, I really like Ruka, R-V-C-A, the surf, skate, jiu-jitsu kind of mate, I never MMA it brand. pronounced that way. Yeah, I think it's... um. I think it means clothes in like, yeah, I can't remember. I think it's Greek or something, but uh, yeah, it mean, I think it means clothes, but it's written like the, it's pronounced Ruka, but it's written RVCA. It's something like that. I don't know, but I first got into their stuff. My brother gave me one of their t-shirts, which had um, BJ Penn, who I didn't know at the time, but subsequent to that, I started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then found out that who BJ Penn was and realized I had him on this t-shirt that I loved. And, um, yeah, since then I've been, yeah, I, I just really like their stuff from grappling shorts to their t-shirts to, you know, it's a, it's a good product, very edgy brand. Like it's, I think it's easy to be fun if you're doing things like surf, jujitsu, and they're associated with mixed martial arts. So it's a pretty, they, they get to brand it in that kind of fun, edgy way. They do some arty stuff and yeah, they're a super cool brand, I reckon. But yeah, other brands, I suppose, I like, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to differentiate. Sometimes like a particular product I love, but I don't necessarily like, you know, it's it's hard for me to distinguish the brand. Yeah. So like Darn Tough is a like a sock brand that um, makes socks out of Vermont. And um, yeah, like best socks ever. But I don't. I can't say I love the name Darn Tough, but <laughs> love the, love their brand. So I suppose it's a bit different, right? Loving yeah, their business yeah. compared to the the brand. Obviously, Nike really like their stuff. Growing up, really like the you know the Michael Jordan kind of kind of thing. Um, and obviously, cool they've, yeah, yeah, and they they wears. I wouldn't say I love Nike products. Mm. In saying that, like I definitely had the had some of the shoes growing up and. Yeah, so out of interest, what's your favorite brand? Uh, actually, Nike. <laughs> I think Nike. It sounds Nike, very cliche. Right. I just, um, yeah, I just like all their, I like their products. I like the way they, I like the tone of voice. I like how consistent they sort of are with what they believe in and, and I guess staying on that sort of, I don't know, that brand promise. I like that they aren't afraid to, you know, cause a bit of controversy with some of their marketing or some of their campaigns and, you know, they're not someone who shy away from controversy. You know, the Colin Kaepernick. That iconic thing. tick as well with uh, the, yeah. the simple just do it motto. And and I, I read the um, Shoe Dog a few years ago by Phil Knight and it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty like it's such a good book. It's his memoirs. But listening to the story of how they developed it and um, even when they when they came up with the logo, he was sort of like, oh, yeah, it's okay. The same as the name. He's like, yeah, it's okay. It might grow on me. And I, I actually say that to clients sometimes. Like it's, um, you know, sometimes these things have to grow on you slightly. You know, it's not like it's, it's not love at first sight all the time with, with these sorts of things. And I suppose it's better for it to grow on you than the other way around. Like oh, you love it and then you get sick of it quite quickly. Yeah. That's yeah, why it's kind of, uh, I suppose, classic, like classic, simple is less like, is, is, is likely to probably grow on you more than, than something kind of super unique and 
you know, more complicated, which you could get sick of. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, something that just feels like a moment in time. Yeah, exactly. Can date, right? Yeah. So, Matt, take me back. How did you get into to your profession? How did you get into being a lawyer? Being a lawyer? I was more kind of into sport at school. Always like, I suppose I like enjoyed maths and kind of really got into English later in school because I liked um, like poetry. I suppose I always liked to debate. I liked um, I liked different, you know, the, the, a few good men like lawyer movies and things. <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't decide to like quite late in my final school year that I'd like to study law and I kind of didn't think I'd get the marks, but I, um, I put in a big effort in the, in the final, this, the final stretch and was able to perform quite well in the exams and, and, uh, you know, was able to get into law. So I, I did arts law and in my arts degree majored in politics. And then, yeah, just from about my second year in law, I just really, or maybe maybe third year, I just really started to enjoy the the study and the actual, um, the, you know, legal thinking. It's just quite different. And um, so I was kind of really, I was kind of quite a, an enthusiastic student towards the end of, end of my uni degree. And then, yeah, started into the legal industry, which is obviously quite different worked at a firm um you know had a, had a couple of jobs then worked at a a legal firm where i was able to get a a postgrad or a, a gig as a lawyer with them and that was yeah somewhere where i stayed for a few years and then 2010 started a couple of us started um started another firm which we pressed so i pursued self-employment ultimately through Schofield King Lawyers or SK How Legal, you as, we, you as we like to be known. Uh, 2010, so I would have been 20, I'd turned 27. Is that, um, is which that, in that retrospect seems to be very ex- young to yeah. start a law firm? Yeah, too young. Don't do it. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> but yeah, look, I was at, I was at you know, I was, I was confident and, you know, probably thought I knew more than I did. And, um, well, and yeah, just felt like, there was some some kind of appeal in the self-employment thing and being able to, you know, run your own business and and have that degree of control that really appealed to me. I I was fortunate enough to be mentored by I, I was at quite a small firm, so I saw saw how the the managers at that firm did things, and I was I was fortunate to be in a position where you know they they discuss managerial some managerial decisions, not so much with me, but I was just open to the, the to their decision-making processes and more how they ran the business and, and what they did. Um, I wasn't part of management there or anything, but they just um, it, it, management was quite accessible there because it was such a small firm. Yeah, so I just felt, oh, look, I, I think I could have a crack at this, and <laughs> and I did. And, yeah, since then it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's obviously grown. We've now got um, more than more than 10 staff and, yeah, it's it's been an in- an interesting ride. But yeah, one one thing I was going to say was just the practice of law was extremely different to the study of law as as you'd expect, but there's something I'd imagine yeah, it was just like I don't feel university really prepared you um too much for the profession itself. It was more about legal thinking whereas um, you know, there's a business side to law. Uh, there's obviously the legal practice, um, and, and just you know, th- there's no substitute for experience with stuff like that. Um, and yeah, the, I suppose when we, when we started Schofield King Lawyers, our um, you know, you straight away lose that day to day mentorship that you have from from other lawyers. Um, so you have to rely on on barristers and people you can call. Um, so that, that was a, a, quite a difficult aspect or, or adjustment. Um, so, and that's why I'd say it, it was in retrospect quite young, um, to do that. But, you know, we're, we're still going 10 years, nearly 10 years later. I think in, um, later this year, it'll be, um, later this year being 2020, it'll be, uh, be 10 years since the company started. Yeah. Mate, that's great. What are some challenges you think your industry faces? I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, technology that's um, becoming available amongst all the legal industry. But what are some, I guess, some challenges? And then what are some potential frustrations that you might have? Frustrations, I'd say that 
You ju- I just don't feel whether it's technology or you know more things being done via email and maybe um, you know less on the phone or, or less in person. There's just less um, less kind of interaction, I suppose, um, which I, I've I've found frustrating. Um, I suppose that's a, that's a kind of general remark. Um, obviously, the technological factors are. You know, there's something that I, I think, you know, lawyers don't want to be, um, you know, messing around with Word documents. And I, I think some of the technological things are, are kind of a welcome inclusion to the profession because as a lawyer, um, you know, you're, you're trained to, to think like a lawyer and, and use legal thinking to solve legal problems or, or disputes. And, um, you know, some of those technological aspects to a degree, they're able to free up a lawyer's time to focus on, um, you know, not not just that document preparation as much as as like legal thinking and analysis and and trying to, uh, you know, to move to to ultimately resolve um, disputes people have or or resolve um, whatever whatever legal issue you're engaged to resolve. So, um, I don't know. I don't see technology as such a threat. At this point, in saying that, like, who knows how how sophisticated robots get and how sophisticated <laughs> things get? And I mean, I'm primarily our, our business is primarily litigation, so it's hard to imagine robots litigating. But um, <laughs> yeah, outside of work, what's been a, a big highlight for you over the last twelve months? Last twelve months, well, I've got a family with uh, um, a wife and a seven year old and a four year old, so they're they're always a um, you know, a day, a day-to-day highlight. Um, but, um, yeah, look outside of work. I love, um, I love martial arts. Um, really enjoy, yeah, pursuing martial, like all aspects. I like mixed martial arts, but Brazilian jiu-jitsu focus and, um, really like, like over the last 12 months, I've gotten more into, um, freestyle wrestling and, um, studying what are like leg locks, which are submissions around the legs. So using jujitsu, but specifically, um, leg lock techniques. Um, you know, really, really kind of, um, been really interested in that. I've started surfing more recently. Um, kind of got into surfing around February this year. Um, which has been, yeah, they've, they've all been highlights. With surfing, I mean, again, that's pretty late in life to start surfing. Did you surf when you were a little bit younger and you're getting back into it or? No, I was a bodyboarder, oh, which really? uh, has, has helped, but not as much yeah. as I would have thought. Because I always wish I'd learnt to surf when I was much younger because I tried to do it a little bit probably about five or six years ago. And I felt like we were going down the Gold Coast and I felt people, the locals there have a lot less tolerance for a shit you know, 30 something surfer than they do for like a young kid. So if you're a young kid, you can just sort of like drop in anywhere. But if you're an older, older guy, you are, you start getting yelled at for being crap. Well, yeah, I had messed around with a little bit of surfing, but never with the right board. Yeah. So this time I went out and got the appropriate learner's board and I've, I've been really super interested in the learning process because there's, there's a lot to digest with surfing. And each time you kind of paddle on a wave and, and position yourself, you've really got to get, you know, a few things right. And I still don't, still don't get them right. But the learning process of, of surfing, it's like just applying a learning process to anything is, is just really breaking down a lot of the little, the little things and trying to get them, them right. So like I realized quite early on that I had certain flexibility issues uh, or mobility issues that, um, and then there's, there is that whole performing, like what the issue you're talking about is being able to perform um, in front of like a stressful environment. So when you're out there and you're surrounded by, um, or you have people and you, you think they're watching you and judging you, you've just got to kind of um, suck it up and ignore it. Um, and at the end of the day, the, you hear about all this surf aggro and, you know, I'm sure it exists, but, um, you know, I, I was kind of in someone's way at Bondi Beach, um, which is easy to do. Um, <laughs> and, and I apologized after and he, he I, I, I thought that he kind of had a grumpy look on his face and he looked angry and he turned straight away and smiled and said, mate, it's all good. And he couldn't have been nicer. So sometimes I think the, you hear these stories and, and I think it, it might steer a lot of people away, but. I've just haven't had that experience. I mean, you've obviously got to be courteous and and understand that the rules of of who has a wave. But um, yeah, I, I haven't. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that anyone should not try it 
at any point in life just just for that reason alone. Um, but yeah, look, it, it's something that ideally probably is 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 learned younger. Are you teaching your kids how to surf? Uh, my seven-year-old. My seven. We were on holidays in Byron Bay. Actually, that was a, that was another good fun experience. Yeah. I, I forgot about holidays in highlights over the last. <laughs> oh mate, we're, we're Tuscany all in, uh, and a few iso- we're all in isolation. <laughs> we don't remember those. <laughs> no, but my son took a few surf lessons in Byron Bay. So um, yeah, he can he can stand up on a board. He doesn't. I kind of push him onto the waves, um, so he doesn't paddle on yet. But um, no, looking forward, and I really hope he can. He can learn to surf as a as a while he's young, so that he could, it's just something that you probably, if you learn while you're young, you probably just have it. Um, whereas, yeah, learning now it's it's just going to be, yeah, a lot harder. But it's you know it's super enjoyable to be terrible at something and 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 make progress because each time you make progress, it feels awesome. And do you find yourself getting really tired after it? Uh, you know, like, cause it's a f- combination of sort of physical and mental. Not super. Like people say it's, um, you know, a fantastic workout and things. And it is, I mean, I feel you're, you're, I mean, like, tight in my arms. Um, yeah. Look, do I, I don't think, I don't think I've had like a workout quite like, you know, mixed martial arts or grappling, Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu. It's, there's, there's an intensity in that, which is obviously with surfing, you get dumped and, and obviously caught in, in sets, but there's, an intensity in in jujitsu that you know you're you're fighting not to be choked or um have your arm broken or, or when did you broken, start but, uh, Brazilian jujitsu? Um, jujitsu was jeez, uh, I f- was first introduced to it in about for if I had to guess, probably about oh two thousand and three. Oh wow! So you've been in that. But- yeah, over seventeen. But years. But then I I didn't really start doing it properly for a few years after until a few years after. Um, but yeah, I was kind of I've, I've, I think I did. It was give or take a year. Um, yeah, around then. And, and do you then, have a belt um, in that? I have been a brown belt since two thousand and twelve, uh, and the next belt is black. So I just uh, haven't been able to get off that brown. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good though, isn't it? I, I mean, it's still, yeah, still right up oh, there. That, that's pretty bad to be a brown belt for that long. But um, look, with jiu-jitsu, there's, um, there's, uh, so commi- there's the gi, which is when you, when you wear like the martial arts uniform. Yeah. So that's, um, that's like the, this Brazilian jiu-jitsu that most, most people will learn. Um, but then there's no gi or submission grappling, which is basically similar, but you take the gi off. Um, so that you don't, you don't get belts in that. And that's primarily what I've, what I've been focused on the last few years. Um, so it's hard to progress belt wise when you, when you're focusing on that. I also like, yeah, with, with me, my martial arts journey is, you know, I really like boxing. I, I like, yeah, wrestling. So it's been broader than, than just Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, so to get the black belt, I'd really need to go back and just focus on, Gee, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and um, it's just not something like it's something I'd want to do, but it's just not a priority um, just right now above some of these other things. So, yeah, um, yeah one day. Have you fought? Hopefully, hopefully. Have you fought in like a, a mixed martial arts fight? Yeah, I've competed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, amateur mixed martial arts fight. Um, but um, yeah, shots which was um, likely you, you could uh, punch to the head and and kick to the head and things, but you couldn't knee to the head, only to the body. And there were, um, but yeah, I, I I've done um, done one of those and a, a couple of pancreation fights, um, and they're wild as well. Last last time I did that was 2010. Wow, um, so not not but, really since since uh, <laughs> working as a lawyer or in your own business anyway. Um, not mixed martial arts. No, I've done some submission grappling and, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff um, since then, but no, not. I think last time I competed was probably 2017. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a big part of my life, martial arts, and I, I think about it a lot. I've, I follow mixed martial arts, different MMA um, tournaments. I love boxing. I, lo- I love combat sports. It's a real, and I think that you, there's obviously a, a stigma around it. You'll hear about um and it's it's really bad that, that people take concussion and that obviously c- 
concussive symptoms are something that need to be taken seriously and further explored. But um, but combat sports is just if you can take precautions and 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 not and it, it can be done safely. Um, and it's just a just a fantastic thing to get into discipline wise and and um, it just teaches you a lot I think about not just the specific art you're doing but about about yourself and I, I used to say sometimes jiu-jitsu sessions were like you'll have your, your it can be like a day or in half an hour because you'll have your your really good time then you have to face adversity and sometimes the adversity gets the better of you and you have to tap and then you've got to come back stronger and yeah, it just it's just really good for some for learning like basic life lessons. I think. I want to talk a little bit about marathon de sables. Is that the right yep. pronunciation? I always get this confused now. Um, yeah, Is it something sable. you did a few, uh, probably two or three years ago now. Uh, two thousand and eighteen, so around now, ago. I think. So, um, um, yeah, how would you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, April two thousand and eighteen. I think that's right. How you said it, I think. I think. So tell us a bit about that. Like, just can you give us a background in, in terms of what Marathon that is? Marathon de Saab, I think. Yeah, now I can't and remember. <laughs> what it is and, and what compelled you to do it. So it translates, pronunciation aside, it translates to Marathon of the Sands, I, I think. Um, and it's, a, it's an ultra, multi, what they call a multi-stage ultra marathon um, across the, the Sahara, not across the entirety of the Sahara, but uh, the, the race is held in the Sahara and it's a... Um, six stages over seven days. Um, and I think the year we did it was about 200, it varies year to year, but it's about 230, 240 kilometers. Um, and you've got to, uh, carry your own food, your own, um, sleeping bag, uh, sleeping bag, your own, um, or you, yeah, your food for the entire time. Um, and then some different, um, different compulsory kits like safety things and, um, yeah, it's uh, so you basically run through sand for a week. <laughs> Running through sand, um, no, the, look, times is the terrain differs. It's kind of some of it's sand, some of it's like sand dune stuff. Some of it's more kind of rocky, and um, but obviously there's there's the heat in the Sahara is quite intense. Um, gets up to around fifty degrees, somewhere near that there, give or take, and it's very dry heat. Um, and in the nights, it, it felt really cold, particularly when you, you don't take a jumper because I didn't take a jumper because I wanted to save weight, which was uh, quite stupid because I was freezing. Um, but yeah, did you, it was it what, what made me do that? Yeah. What, what, what made you want to do that? Um, yeah, I'd had a kind of, I'd, I'd had my eye on it a little while ago. My father used to run, um, right, you know, do the city to surf when I was younger with, with dad and dad and his friend. And, um, then I did, uh, dad used to do uh, marathons and I don't know how many he did, but it could, maybe a couple and he, he liked his triathlons and things. And he showed me an article on it years ago. And, um, it always stuck with me because I just thought, how on earth could you possibly, like, that doesn't make sense. Like it was about, I think it was two Australian guys that did it and they were talking about their toenails falling off and their feet getting infected. I can't remember something like that. And, um, it just sounded just ridiculous, like the concept of running through that terrain for that am- amount of time. And um, it just like kind of intrigued me at the time. And then I think I'd kind of spoken with people about it in the past, but I've, I've the extent to which I've ran has always been like focused on just keeping fit, not specifically for running sake. Um, but, you know, I've always enjoyed um, enjoyed a, a bit of a run here and there. Um but, um, this is a bit more than a bit of a run, though. Yeah, but then I don't know. I had a, a bit of a funny, difficult year in 2017, and I just, um, you know, I was kind of getting inspired by, you know, the idea of hashtag YOLO. You only you only live <laughs> once, and you, you got to you got to do some things like this when they when they call. And I kind of kept thinking about it a bit. I, th- I think in previous years I'd spoken to friends about doing it, and. Um, email people like come on mate because I was on their mailing list for a little while and then I just decided like maybe this is the year so I signed up to um, the training camp one of the Australian training camps to do that um, in the October 2017 and um, yeah after I did that and spoke to some people about it I, I signed up shortly after and I think which I think was in October that year and um, yeah had a had a tough prep to um, 
get myself ready for what do you do to train to do six marathons in seven days um it's yeah it was challenging so um a lot of it i was advised to because i'd never run a marathon um prior to I i think the first one i ran was january 2018 um so I kind of wasn't really experienced with any longer stuff. The, the mixed martial arts, you know, the, that kind of training or the martial arts training, obviously, um, you know, you, you think you, you mentally, um, you know, you know how to push yourself and things. But, um, yeah, the training involved, firstly, I started um, trail running near my, um, in, in Sydney and around the Kalara, the North Shore area. Um, so I started trail running and it was a sport that like I'd never thought about. And the first time I remember doing it, running through the bush with, with my headphones and, and music on, I remember thinking, how on earth did I not know that this was a thing? Like I should have been trail running all my life. It was like the most beautiful experience. Um, and I just realized then like, this is going to be fantastic. So you've got, you've got to, you know, you've got to get kilometers in your legs. Basically, you've got to do a lot of the training with the backpack on. Um, how but heavy what, is the pack? Uh, I think mine was about eight kilos. Yeah. That's what I started with. And it gets lighter as you eat. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, it was there about seven at seven or eight. I think you have to take six point something kilos and, um, it's got to be less than less than a certain amount, 13 or 14 or 12 or something. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, getting that you've got to like spend a lot of time, like working out what gear you're going to get, you know, what backpack works for you. Um, you know, the water bottles and doing all things like that. But what I worked up to was, um, was, uh, doing the sand dunes, um, down at, down at Wanda, um, near Cronulla. And, um, yeah, that was ultimately um, that what I worked up to was two consecutive days, six hours just running around the sand dunes. Um, so I'd go get water and have short breaks, but effectively kind of just lapping sand dunes for about six hours. And, and what um, month of the year was this in? That would have been in summer. Oh, um, wow. That would have been horrible. Yeah, so probably February. Yeah. Probably, I don't think I train much in March because funnily enough, I was running around the dunes and this guy said, you aren't, what are you training for? And we told him, it was me and another guy that was doing the event and he'd run it um, prior to that. Oh, wow. He'd run it a, a few years prior. So he yeah. was able to give us some tips and he's just like, mate, like just keep lapping around. And um, that was the, like doing those days when you've you've done kind of, you know, close to six hours in the dunes and then, backing up the following day it's just horrific and you're alone um because once it's getting warm not many people are out on the dunes and it's it's super difficult but um like i um yeah i don't think i'd be rushing to do that kind of training again but that that was what i kind of worked up to and then we were up at byron bay on a holiday at one point and we was able to get in some kilometers for a week up there um which was which was super good like a lot of sand running there um but yeah and then working up to that and uh, i i kind of like you've got to go in with the mindset that obviously you're not going to quit but i I still wasn't sure what my body would do and the the harder parts of the race because there's one stage which was i think about 86.6 kilometers which was day four and that's the one where i just wasn't sure because i'd never been that distance just was not sure how my body would cope but uh yeah, it all worked out in the end. The race and, got completed. And what um what month was the race in? Uh, that was in April, April yeah. two thousand and eighteen. And so, take me through the race. Like, um, so it's over seven days. Where do you kick off? Uh, good question. So you go to a town called Wazazart, and then it's a few hours drive. I want to say like five ish hours country, from there. Morocco, all yeah, in Morocco. Okay. Um. Yeah, five-ish hours. I can't remember how long the bus ride was, but um, and were you by yeah, yourself so, or were you with this guy that you were? No, with? there's there's about a thousand people that do it. Yeah, um, but but from and, Australia, I mean. Yeah, so from Australia, I think we had around twenty, like give or take, somewhere near that. So we were with we had a crew. Like I was with some Aussies in our in our tent, which was fantastic. Like great crew of guys. There were eight of us in the in the tent it's not really a tent it's like some material with some with some sticks um (laughs) 
put up. But um, yeah, you, you kind of set up camp every night. The, the tents are already set up for you, but everything else is done by you. They just give you uh, water. Um, they give you salt, like salt tablets, which you've got to take a lot of during the during the race. And um, yeah, so we get there and day one, I think, was 30-ish kilometers. Um, gives you a taste of what's coming. Day two is about 38 kilometers. Day three, I think, was, I can't remember, somewhere near 30. And day four was 86.6, I think. And then day four goes for two days, but I was able to um, finish in the early hours of that following morning. So I got the next day off. Um, but people are coming in all throughout that day. And then the next day, you've got to do a marathon. Um, so yeah, look, the race was, the race itself was uh, like thoroughly enjoyable. The conditions are very difficult to deal with. Um, but the race itself, just because of the people around and the majestic nature of where you are, um, like, I don't want to say I thought it'd be harder because I'm, I'm thinking back with rose colored glasses because it was very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had like hardship during the race. Like I had a thorn go through my shoe and, um, you know, some other problems. But the race itself day, was just- What day did the thorn go through? That was about halfway, not even oh. halfway through the long stage. Um, and basically, this it was a thorn that shot up through my shoe into my foot. But um, oh. I kept taking my shoe off and I just couldn't see where this thorn was. And um, I'm telling this guy I'm running with, I'm like, man, there's, there's something in my foot. And we, we, we checked a couple of times. We're looking and he, he couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anything. And I'm like, he's like, look, it must be a muscle. Sometimes <laughs> muscles twitch in a funny yeah. way and I'm running and I'm every now and then it just drive up into my foot. And I'm like, man, it's, it's definitely a, a thorn. Anyway, we kept going and finished and I'm walking back and I'm like, I just can't accept that that wasn't a thorn. Like it was too, it was so intense. And then, uh, he checked my shoe the following day and he had a pair of tweezers and he just pulled out this like large thorn out of the shoe that had continually been kind oh, so of it was irritating in there the whole driving day. up. It was in there. Yeah. From about oh halfway, halfway, a <laughs> bit before halfway. It was horrible. That's but, that um, an excruciating. Yeah, but look that you know that that aside, like there's you know you, you you go through with the mindset that like you're not stopping, like there's no there's no option to stop. Um, so you just you know it's it's simple in the sense that it's if you get that that option out of your mind, you just you know you, you break it down into small bites, and it's um you know he, he used to say like when when the going was getting tough in that longer stage, he'd say okay, let's do ten more kilometers now, ten more kilometers and. And you know you can do 10 kilometers. Like each time, you, you know 10 is doable. But if someone says to you after 30 or 40, okay, give me another 40, it's <laughs> it, it's just, a, it, you know, you need to, to break the pieces so it's not overwhelming. And, um, yeah, I, I found that that kind of super, he, um, you know, super helpful. But, look, there were so many great people and just real characters on that race that met that, that just tell you their story and, why they were there and just it was just a fantastic experience so the, the look the training i felt was in some respects certainly from a mental perspective like quite a lot more difficult than the race itself because you're caught up in the in just the uniqueness and, and amazing nature of that experience particularly because you're in the sahara desert which is just stunning um so yeah it was um the race itself was yeah it was just a great experience what did you eat through this race uh, so like cliff bars and um geez, I'd love to give a shout out to the particular they're similar to cliff bars there. I just can't remember what they're called, but they're, cliff bars um, they're really, got a cool brand. Cool story as well, actually, Cliff Bars. Yeah, but there's these other ones I'll I'll have to um get you their name. They're really good and I'd, so bars like that. Um so they're kind of I'd classify them as kind of energy bars. Then you've got your your gels and things like that. Um, but other than that, in terms of your meals, they're those like pre-packed camping, hiking meals that you add just to add water to. I didn't take a stove or, or anything like that. So I just used the, the kind of, um, um, you know, the, the room temperature water that they gave us. <laughs> um, so I just poured that in 
because some of them have like that some people take like little stoves and they they kind of have a pot and they cook they add water and they cook it so it's warm but i was just having like you know it'd be like some kind of chicken meal and you just add water and stir around and eat it um which was fine like i um was kind of really hungry um pretty much the entire time so (laughs) anything like that just tastes good in the mornings i'd have um oats with like some protein powder in them and um yeah and then i'd I'd take like magnesium supplements um magnesium powder and things like that and yeah look uh, the meal at the end was like super appreciated (laughs) but um (laughs) what did you have at the end uh, I was actually not very nice, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, I think the first meal when we got back to the hotel was like a buffet, and I just remember, I, I just remember loving the. It was like spaghetti with just like a tomato sauce, and just eating just a heap of that and bread, and I'd kind of imagine what the first beer would taste like for a long time. Yeah, and it, it was not good, and it didn't really? sit well, and no, it was horrible. Like because I think your your body just really wants. Um, just really ultra i think ultimately just hydration clean hydration and, and clean nutrients yeah, that are, are good for the tummy alcohol instead no it just wants something that'll that's enough so it can relax and go to sleep and, and um, what was the feeling crossing the line yeah it was a pretty emotional time um it was also like i got just so much support from from back home um we did a uh a raise my son my second son had um had um, surgery to his skull um, a few years prior to that, 2016. Um, so we did a, ray, a charity raise for Westmead Children's Hospital where we raised over $50,000, which yeah, was just huge. overwhelming support from people because, you know, a lot of people hadn't heard of the race. So when you say you're doing it, they're like, oh, that's pretty crazy. All right, I'll give some money. And so it was really just amazing to be able to raise that much for them. And um, so pe- a lot of people, because we, um, because we were kind of, um, uh, you know, pressing that charity raise. A lot of people knew about it, that I was doing it. So um, I just had like overwhelming support. Like when I got got to check on Facebook and you're allowed to check, like you can check, you can send, I think, one email a, a day. They've got these tents set up. Yeah. Um, but, so would, you, um, would you check in with the family? Well, what happens is, so you can write your email, but then every... I think it's every day they come round to your tent and they give you like a printout of all your messages. Oh wow! So it's like it's, it's like super amazing time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was just an amazing time. Like reading those emails when you're out and having a few people to discuss them with. Would and, you get emotional? Um, yeah, it was just amazing because you, you're just hearing from them and some of them you're not expecting to hear from and um and they they've because they've been tracking you or following you they know. Like they see you cross the line on on the video, and they they you know talk about it and encourage you, and it was just an it was amazing for that reason um, as well. Like that was probably the just the best time of the day hearing from people um, that were that were supporting you. So you you felt kind of um, yeah, I mean that that was or just just all that support in terms of the charity raise and the and the emails and the social media support was was yeah quite overwhelming. It was awesome. And how was it after? I guess, what did you do for the weeks after the race? Uh, so, I met my wife in Morocco and I think we had another week. That was after a couple of nights at the hotel with the with the guys we, we finished with, which was great. Um, yeah, so I, I met my wife in, uh, in Marrakesh, I think, from memory. Um, and then we, we kind of had, had, a, had, I think it was six days or a week or something like that in Morocco. Um, but you know, I was ultimately like my body was just recovering for a while. I mean, you're on a high and then all of a sudden it's, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's finished this big thing. And I had an infected foot. I had, had to, um, from the phone. Uh, no, I think I just like an infected toe. Um, I don't know, probably, probably not, but a lot of people have those, those kind of, um, just issues because your your feet are like a massive problem during the you know you're losing toenails and um yeah so i might you know i was just recovering i was kind of limping around for a little bit that was hurting um you know i think it, it was just a, a heavy experience i was just kind of um sleeping and, and keeping it pretty low key for a while what was the mental toll from it do you think like was it a sense of accomplishment was it um 
a sense of relief? Like, how did you feel like in the weeks leading after the race? Was it sort of like hard to get back to reality or back to normal? Yeah, I think ultimately when you when you come off something like that, you know, there's that initial high and then settling down back into like that normal life without that. Um, I actually probably found a little bit challenging um, because, you know, you've just been focusing on something. You've been getting so much support, then, you know, people want to know about it and talk to you. But after it all kind of cools down, you, it, it, it was actually, I, I think, probably classed it as a, as a semi-difficult adjustment, you know, go back into Sydney. It was winter, um, you know, nearing winter. It was, you know, end of end of April or May by the time we got back, probably end of April. And, um yeah, it just kind of, you know, I found it quite a difficult adjustment to just, you know, get back in and really focus on work and um, started doing some jiu-jitsu again, which was awesome because I hadn't, hadn't been doing that for, for a little while. But, um, yeah, it was. It, I actually find the adjustment kind of semi-difficult um, coming off it, I suppose, just that I, I think when you know, don't people say when they come back from holidays is a bit of that post-holiday kind of, because like if you've done a like a big holiday um you've thought about it like leading up to the holiday then you've had the amazing experience and then it's all over and you, you've just got to go back to what you were doing yeah so um yeah i was kind of like okay what's next and but really you, you just wanted for me it was just back to back to focus on on family and and work and and just those those ordinary things you know? <laughs> so have you put in the diary another Ultra marathon. I shouldn't say ordinary. They're great things too, but uh, you know, the day to day things. Uh, Look, I I was supposed to do a hundred kilometers. I I hadn't. I think I did a half marathon later that year, Um, but I I kind of refocused predominantly on the on the martial arts stuff again. Um, In saying that, I was supposed to run a hundred kilometers with with a couple of guys that I did the MDS with, um, but that got cancelled due to uh, the COVID um covid related issues so um yeah uh, that that's I, I don't they asked me if i'd then want to do it in do the replacement event which they've scheduled for october but um yeah who knows whether covid will prohibit that by then it probably will but i just said look i don't really like want to commit to it then so i'm, I'm not looking to do any kind of ultra marathon things um yeah, in between, in the short term. But I, look, I have my eyes set on on. Uh, there's one particular event called called Badwater, which is a, um, I think it's 160 miles, um, through Death Valley, is it California? Um, <laughs> so, and like I've, I've heard a little bit about that, and I, I like the look of that and the idea of doing that one day. But it's it's pretty hard to get into, and you've got to qualify by doing a few very long events. I think a few events over. A, over a hundred k or over hundred, yeah, I can't. I think it's one hundred and sixty kilometers even um, that you've the, the qualifiers, and you've. I think you've got to do three of those now. So I just ultra marathon running is it's extremely time consuming because um, you know a mutual friend of ours was telling me recently he likes to keep his his exercises you know in an hour, um, and I, I think that's a good approach just for time management. Um, and ultra marathon running, it's difficult to train for it in an hour. I mean, you can do you can only do so much you can only get so many kilometers in your in your legs in an hour um there's there's probably some people that do that and then go out and do the long runs but um yeah i that wouldn't i'd prefer if i was going to do it to have it, it's just a time commitment i, I not presently I, I don't can't presently commit to at the moment yeah um so no nothing on the horizon so dave what are some of your favorite answer. books man books um books okay we've got uh i just finished east of eden by john steinbeck and obviously grapes of wrath by by him as well um two amazing books i just love the way he writes and the, the story you know he's just excellent um it was funny i was, I was kind of reading more um you know books that that are about um you know self-betterment or whatever and then you read someone like Steinbeck and just the quality of the actual, just the writing and the way he uses language and him in particular, because he's, he's using language from like, um, you know, the dialogue he uses is not, not often not complicated, but the, 
just the way he expresses it and tells a story and brings a character to life. I just, I find him just a pleasure to read. Um, what else? I love, um, really enjoyed The Obstacle is the Way, which is kind of um, about stoic, kind of stoic, um, stoic philosophy and talking, talking about that. Um, is that something you read before doing Marathon Disciples? No, no, just, just read that kind of recently. Um, On the Road was a, a book that influenced me in a massive way. I took it, took, um, deferred a semester at uni to travel with um, a great friend of mine, Miles, Miles Hunt. Um, we took off around um, a bit of Southeast Asia, then, then um, what, India, a bit of Europe, and then, then spent the most of our time in South America. But there was a book that was kind of um, pivotal in my mindset at that time, Jack Kerouac's On the Road. Yeah. And I remember reading that and I was just, I don't think I was ever the same person after reading that. <laughs> It just um, it took me off in this this like thirst for a different kind of um, yeah, just an amazing book um, on the road. Um, so that that I'd class as like I it's an enjoyable read, but it was like really really influential. But um, I mean, you know, with me, um, you know, there's there's obviously books, but but for me, like Bob Dylan almost is classed in you know he, he did the. Um, won the prize for um, for literature, and uh, you know there's a reason for that. He's he's just like super. Like he, he, he the depth of of exploring Dylan is 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 probably endless. Um, what do you used so, to say to people who would ask him to like explain his work? I I don't think he's ever been a proponent for <laughs> like just kind of kind of kind of you work it out, you know, it means yeah. what it means. I don't know. <laughs> I just write the stuff, you know. He's uh. He's an enigma of a person, so far as I can tell. But uh, yeah, I just um, I kind of class him in that same like these these authors that that write these amazing books. But for me, he's he's like almost studying and getting into his works, which I've kind of been doing been doing quite intensively just the the last few months and kind of the back end of last year. Um, I've become like in, in just intrigued by him on another level. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts about Bob Dylan and um, I also like, you know, bits of, bits of poetry. I'd love to, love to get into to more poetry. Um, so yeah, I suppose with, with books, it's kind of, I, I kind of class just that kind of art influence, which for me is like the, the music, but specifically like um, a lot of lyrics that I like to get into. And then with the books and um, they kind of all speak, speak to each other in a way um i mean grapes of wrath you know springsteen wrote um you know ghost of tom Joad, which is you know a character in, in grapes of wrath so they're all they're all kind of nodding to each other in a way well they they you know a couple of them a couple of them nod to each other and you hear like dylan talking about um you know different poets authors and um so yeah i think um Bob Dylan is a gateway to a lot of great stuff, I think. Who are some other people that you admire? Love Henzo Gracie, who um, is uh, one of the a member of the Gracie family, who Gracie family, like they, they started or they made popularized and developed to a great extent the sport of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, which they some people call like their part of the art, Gracie jiu-jitsu. And um, Henzo Gracie is a member of that family, but he's just got this... Um, just this, inf- just this amazing charisma. Um, I was fortunate enough to have met him, which I've, I've just never been so starstruck in my entire life. I was just <laughs> lost for words. I met him at LA airport. I got off a flight. We were on our way to, to Las Vegas and just my mate said, oh, there's there's Henzo Gracie. And I looked, just thought he was joking because I like was a massive Henzo Gracie fan and, and I just couldn't believe it. He's standing there. Did you speak there. to him? Yeah, Sorry, I you, went you up to him. And, and, yeah, you, and uh, what did you say? I can't, like I, I kind of remember, but I can't. It was, I was honestly just so, just starstruck. He was super polite. There's a documentary, um, his documentary, uh, it's called Legacy, and it just like that again was just super influential f- for me to like facing challenges and things like that. And um, yeah, so seeing him was just like that was a particularly important person. I think I'd said prior to meeting him that he was one of the three people on earth whose hands I'd love to shake. And, um, yeah, I actually met him and I was just stoked. Like 
I think I went up to him like, hey, Henzo, I'm from Australia. Like, I just didn't. <laughs> I had nothing. I'm like, when are you coming? And he's like, oh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And I, I, it was just like, I, it, there was just away, so much. Your head. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was like, oh, I could have. Yeah, but, um, so, if he's, sorry, if he's one of the three, is Dylan one of the other three? No, look, it's hard to know with Bob Dylan. Like, I, I think if I sat down with Bob Dylan, I don't, I don't think, I, I just don't, don't know that I'd, like, yeah, I, I admire Dylan in a way that's like, you know, I admire Dylan in a, in a, in a, in a way, but I, I just, I don't know, it's, it's a bit of a different kind of, um, you know, I just think his greatness is, is insane. But, you know, I always think like people I admire, like who would, like I'd love to have a beer with or I'd love to learn from um, or talk to. And um, obviously Bob Dylan, like I, I love, but um Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, like I'm a massive Pearl Jam fan growing up. I, um, I've seen Pearl Jam a lot of times live. Um, I definitely like admire Eddie Vedder. I just think his energy, um, just super positive, um, you know, artistic. He's just fantastic and um, just been doing, you know, they've been, they, Pearl Jam just released an album recently. I mean, that's, you know, a lot, you know, first, you know, a long time they've been doing it. Um, so I've got a lot of admiration for Eddie Vedder. The other one's um, Josh Whiteskin, who's uh, you've probably heard on like the Tim Ferriss podcast. He's the guy that um, well, you told me about him a few a few weeks ago. I listened to one of his interviews on Tim Ferriss. It was really good. Yeah, so he's the searching for Bobby Fisher guy. Like he's the the story of searching for Bobby Fisher. Uh, and the movie was was based on. He was him. talking about breathwork in one of the ones I was listening to and he was talking about how he was practicing these types of exercises where he could control, like use breath to, and I don't know, some sort of meditation to basically get him into like a certain mood or invite, you know, mental state of preparation or preparedness. Yeah. So he talks a bit about like triggers, like how to trigger that state of, yeah. you know, because I think, I think he came on the Tim Ferriss show and Tim Ferriss played him, Eminem's "Lose Yourself" as a bit of a G up because that was oh, a, that, that was a trigger yeah. for him, and he yeah. um, he laughed because it was a music trigger that he used to use. I don't know in for, his martial arts. I think yeah, or, yeah, yeah. No, he's. I just like. Um, actually, he recommended on on one of those podcasts. He recommends Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is a fantastic book too. Um, but I just find that the way he. Um, just articulates himself and his general attitude and his um, his positivity and his focus and his discipline. Um, I just find him him super inspiring. I've also got like you know friends I admire and um, people in my profession I admire who obviously mentor me. But you know, got, with that particular podcast medium where you're hearing um, you know long conversations with these guys, you really can pick up a lot. And he's got a book out which is really good. It's called The Art of Learning. Um, I'd listen to that on, on audible, but he's, I, I find him yeah, really inspiring and he, he, what he says just really resonates. I mean, he happens to be, he happens to really like martial arts. He, um, he's into surfing. He likes, um, I think he likes Bob Dylan and things like, so he's just like, he's probably got some common interests, but I just find he's the way he breaks things down and just, just conceptualizes things. I, I think he's a, really is a great yeah great person to listen to well dave mate thanks so much for making the time i want to wrap up with a few questions here on firstly who's someone remarkable that you know that we should speak to my wife (laughs) she's uh she runs a not run she's in a um children's music band um called the tiptoe giants they're great but yeah she's she's uh, remarkable yeah look i think everyone has a story like there's so many of my friends i mean we've got um you know a lot of people we mutually know that have got their own story and you can always learn from people and you know having an open mind to really really understand and and making sure you can you can learn from everyone is 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 great i mean um got a yeah a couple of friends miles hunt he'd be a great one to interview back to leanne her band released a um a song that was quite um relevant around uh COVID-19 didn't they they did they did what was that about um it was about uh covering your mouth when you cough <laughs> uh I won't I won't attempt a rendition now you don't want but, to sing uh, it 
No, but uh, you could you could probably find it if you go to their uh, Mate, I'll, YouTube I'll link channel it in the, or I'll link whatever it, in the it is. In the show notes. <laughs> in the show notes, that's right, yeah. Is that what we do? That's what we do, yeah. yeah. References to that. Um, so I, I cut you off. You were saying Anton? Yeah, Anton's a friend of mine who um, runs and owns uh, uh, Swill House, which is they do um, a lot of the awesome bars in Sydney, Frankie's Pizza, um, Baxter's Inn, Shady Pines. Uh, they do a couple of restaurants, Hubert and uh, Alberto's Lounge. They're all awesome places, and he's a super interesting guy. Um, How old are you so going? Be an awesome guy. Uh, I think so. Most things would be uh, like the standard businesses are shut, but I, th- I think they're doing like alcohol deliveries, something like that. Um, so but yeah, I, th- I think from Frankie's. Ah, uh, not actually sure. I saw they were doing alcohol. Yeah, I'm not, not sure. But um, yeah, super interesting, very very artistic, and um, yeah, super interesting guy. And mate, um, and then the other guy I'd say would be someone I know you you recently interviewed. So Simon Harridan's great. <laughs> That's love, right. Yeah, the person who intru- introduced us, we met it. Well, yeah, Simon's a master connector of um, of lots of people. Yeah, but look, I, I, I mean, a yeah, lot of any, uh, any. good business to Simon. And uh, I, I think a lot of good friendships, a lot of good business and friendship. Yeah. yeah. Look, I think, uh, I think honestly, the the answer is probably anyone. Like anyone, you, you throw questions like this is going to be able to tell you something um, interesting. That and um, yeah, it's a it's a good concept because you you're just kind of getting the getting people's story um, out of them and seeing where it goes. Um, so yeah, I'd give you a list of my friends and look <laughs> on my Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I'll just get some random message. Yeah. Mate, what's your favorite quote or the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Favorite quote is actually I first learned about it. Um, it's Roosevelt. It's the man in the arena quote. You've probably heard it before. Um, but it was at the end of the Henzo Gracie film called Legacy and I just remember hearing it and you have that moment where, you know, you know you're alive here. You know when you read something amazing or you hear something that kind of shifts the way you think a little bit and you, you hear it articulated so well and you just understand something that's very core and very it's part of the wonder about being alive ultimately and um you know there's a f- few quotes that or, or passages of books and songs do it to me but um yeah the man in the arena quote was a real real game changer for me um just that and we've got it framed in our office and one in the boardroom and um do you want me to say it or yeah, if you've got it, mate. If you've got it, it there, definitely. I, I do, I do bring it up. Uh, so it's it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails, at least fails whilst daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. And, um, you know, it's consistent with something I... Uh, one of the my first um, university tut, um, tutor basically said uh, he said I forget the context of when she was saying it, but he's he was kind of classing people into two kinds of person. And he said there are there are bold spirits and there are timorous souls. And this <laughs> quote kind of just takes that to the next level. It, yeah. it really is about you know there are so many critics, but um, you just got to you you got to when when you don't want to do something, but you, you've got that feeling that you, you, you know, it's something you really want to do, whether it be a, a run in the desert or, um, you know, some kind of challenge. Um, I don't know that, that man in the arena can, can just, it, I find that just incredibly inspirational and it's a good, good thing to always remember and remind yourself of. Um, the other quote I just was the one that I read and that was just that penny dropping just amazing moment was the the famous mad ones quote from um from jack kerouac's on the road 
And do you want me to do you want me to end the podcast with that? That's yeah, it's pretty, let's do that, short. mate. That's that's epic. Okay. No, um, so, so, so yeah, so read that one to me. So I remember reading this when I was reading on the, on the road, and I just I, I think I kind of thought like I, I just didn't like writing, it just never seemed that good to me. It was just like it flew off the page and in and just this amazing experience. But um, so. That that quote is, the only people for me are the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, burn, burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars. And in the middle, you see the blue center light pop and everybody goes, oh. All day, mate. I think that's uh, a great place to wrap it up. So, mate, thank you very much for taking the time and uh, coming on the podcast. And it's, uh, no, it's been thank awesome. you, mate. It's been fun. It's been awesome talking with you. Thank you, mate. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Someone Remarkable. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your network. To support us, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. To learn more about us or the guests on this show, visit dsrb.com.au slash podcast. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. We hope that this episode has inspired you to think differently.